Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. morning. My name is Rens and I'll be your operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Organigram Holdings, Inc.'s third quarter fiscal 2021 earnings conference call. All lines have been placed in mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. We ask you to please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up question. You may requeue if you have further questions. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded and a replay will be available on Organigram's website. At this time, I would like to introduce Ms. Amy Schwalm, Vice President, Investor Relations. Thank you, Renz. Joining me today are Organigram's Chief Financial Officer, Derek West, and our Chief Strategy Officer, Paolo DeLuca. Before we begin, I would like to remind you that today's call will include estimates or, and other forward-looking information from which our actual results could differ. Please review the cautionary language in today's press release regarding various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ. Furthermore, during this call, we will refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures, including adjusted EBITDA and adjusted gross margin. These measures do not have any standardized meaning under IFRS, and our approach in calculating these measures may differ from that of other issuers and so may not be directly comparable. Please see today's earnings report for more information about these measures. I will now hand the call over to Paolo. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, and thank you for joining Derek and me today. We do not have our permanent CEO in place as we are conducting this call, and I will address that right up front in terms of what we can share with you at this point. That way, the questions and answers portion at the end of this call can be focused on other questions that you might have. Speaking on behalf of our board of directors, we know that it is a priority to get the right person in the role as soon as possible. A leading search firm has been hired and the committee responsible for the selection of a new CEO has been busy reviewing candidates from across the CPG sector in North America. They are now in the second stage of the interview process with a short list of candidates. In any event, the company is operating very well during this interim period with the management team and board working together more closely than ever to expedite decision-making. I would also like to point out that our chairman, Peter Amaral, is acting as executive chair and he brings tremendous experience being the longest serving board member of the company as well as deep CPG experience through a series of senior executive roles, including at Molson's and Kara Foods. We feel very equipped as a management team with the key input and oversight from Peter and the rest of our board of directors. Many of the senior executives have a strong track record at the company and have contributed to the success we are seeing from our revitalized product portfolio, which I will talk about more in a moment. In addition to some longstanding executives, we also announced two key new hires with deep experience in cannabis and CPG. 
our SVP of Marketing and Communications, Megan McRae, as well as our VP of Innovation, Borna Zlamalik. We also onboarded great confectionery management capabilities as part of our edibles and infusions acquisition in James Fletcher, who remains president of EIC. In addition to a better top-line trend, we have seen cultivation ramp with the benefit of increased staffing, and critically, we have seen cultivation costs per gram continue to decline on the back of higher plant yields, as well as the realization of other cost efficiencies and improvements. We have our newly promoted Vice President of Operations, Natalie Baden, to thank for leading these efforts. Again, all of this to reinforce that we feel very good about managing the business through this interim period and continue to benefit from the long track record and expertise of Peter Amaral and the rest of the board. We feel even better about our prospects when we look at the strong outlook for the entire industry and with COVID restrictions being unwound nationwide. A strong seasonal backdrop and the ongoing expansion of, of the retail store network in key markets like Ontario. Derek will go into more specifics on our outlook for our fiscal Q4. So just to sum up before I continue to discuss the quarter, we won't be answering any other questions on the CEO search on this call, but look forward to updating you as soon as we are able to. Now I will move along to the fiscal Q3 results that we released earlier this morning. I will talk a little about revenue and new product launches, as well as some of our strategic developments, and we'll leave Derek to go through detailed financials and our outlook for Q4. As we expected and directionally guided, and I say directionally, as we do not provide specific revenue or earnings guidance, in our last quarter's disclosure, Q3 revenue improved from a challenged Q2, which we believe represents a clear inflection point for the company. As I mentioned, we, we have ramped up operations and staffing such that we were better able to fulfill demand in Q3. We believe Q3 revenue was still negatively impacted by relatively suppressed demand from some provincial boards, particularly in the most populous province of Ontario. Strict COVID-19 restrictions in Ontario meant less staffing to enable physical distance and retail stores being limited to 25% capacity for most of March, and then closed completely to all foot traffic for the balance of our fiscal quarter, which ended May 31st, 2021. However, we did not have the production disruptions related to COVID-19 cases that occurred in our Q2 quarter ending February 28th which essentially shut down the Moncton facility temporarily on two occasions, sending larger groups of employees home to isolate. Our revitalized product portfolio is resonating with consumers, and this is reflected in revenue growth in Q3. We conduct ongoing consumer research and leverage detailed analysis of our consumer purchasing behaviors to help ensure our offerings are aligned with existing and expected evolutions in consumer preferences. Consumer trends have continued to emerge and coalesce, including ongoing growth in the large for format value segment, a desire for higher THC, as well as a penchant for newness, including new genetic strains and novel products. Organigram be began a product re portfolio revitalization in mid-calendar 2020 to address these consumer trends and preferences. We have launched 84 new SKUs since July 2020, and up to 20 more SKUs are still to come in Q4 fiscal 2021. Dry flower and pre-rolls remain the first and second largest categories respectively in the Canadian adult use recreational market of all product form factors, and the company believes these categories will continue to dominate based on the sales history and mature legal markets in certain U.S. states, as well as regulatory restrictions on other form factors, for example, the 10 milligram per package THC limit in the edibles category. 
cannabis consumers continue to want both high THC dried flower products and cultivar diversity as supported by available sales data. In the popular value segment, sales of shred continue to impress almost tripling from last quarter and representing the fastest growing brand in the country. It has remained the number one most searched brand on the OCS website for the last eight consecutive months. There are a number of exciting developments I want to highlight when it comes to this highly demanded product. First, the product margin on Shred is improving with a pivoting commercial strategy and a declining cost structure as our yields and efficiencies are improving with increased scale. Second, we have had the benefit of being able to leverage Shred's extremely strong brand equity to introduce new better margin products like Shred Jar of Joints, a convenient jar of 14 half-gram pre-rolls of Shred's Tropic Thunder. And we have more to come, so stay tuned. We will obviously provide more details as these products are rolled out. Late in Q3, Organogram officially announced the launch of Big Bago Buds, indoor-grown, strain-specific dried flower in a 28-gram value format. The new Big Bago Bud lineup includes existing cultivars, such as the company's industry-leading Ultra Sour, otherwise known as Limelight in our Edison brand, along with new cultivars and a rotation of one-time strain offers. Big Bago Bud contains a minimum of 17% THC, and one-time offer or OTOs will range in strain selections, including Grapefruit GG4, Original Blue, and Lemon Tree strains. Big Bag of Buds doubled its sales in Q3 from Q2, and we see this excellent trend continuing into Q4. As we said last quarter, we are focused on growing our sales mix into our higher margin dried flower brands. We have made ongoing investments in genetics to support the Edison brand promise of innovation and new and exciting products. We plan to keep the Edison brand revitalized over time with new streams as well as high potency. As you have heard other licensed producers lament, it is not easy to grow new strains at scale with both high THC and balancing that with high plant yield. But we are increasingly encouraged by our progress and recent results. In Q2 fiscal 2021, the company launched three new Edison Cannabis Co. Indica strains, which included high potency black cherry punch and ice cream cake for ITC, as well as slurricane. Black Cherry Punch joins Limelight as the top seller of their respective strains amongst other LPs with similar strains in market. In late April 2021, the company announced the launch of another two new high-potency Edison dried flower strains, GMO Cookies and Mac One, which have a THC range of 20 to 26% and are available in either a 3.5-gram format or a package of 3.5-gram pre-rolls. Both strains feature a distinct phenotypic profile, flavor, and aroma as a result of being grown in one of Organogram's strain-specific microclimates. We expect to introduce more new cultivars under the Edison brand in the near term. In late March, the company introduced another high-margin dry flower brand to the market called Indy, one of Canada's only cannabis brands dedicated exclusively to indica cultivars. Skyway Kush was the first and only strain in the company's indie portfolio, offering THC in the range of 20 to 23% until June, when we launched two new indie strains in 3.5 gram formats. Biscotti Gelato with a THC range of 20 to 26%, and Gelato number 33 with a THC range of 17 to 23%.
Pre-rolls are the second largest category in adult use recreational market and the fastest growing on a quarterly basis this year at about 33% in calendar Q2 over Q1. In late March of this year, we introduced the new Edison strains of Black Cherry Punch, ICC, and Slurricane in a package of three half-gram pre-rolls produced with our new pre-roll machine. This machine was commissioned in March and is now producing an average of about 40 pre-rolls per minute. We have ordered another machine expected to be delivered to commission in early Q1 fiscal 22, as pre-roll demand hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. Derivative product sales were lower in Q3 than Q2, but we look forward to gaining sales traction in the largest derivative product category, vapes, with the launch of two new vape products with higher THC concentrations. These include an Edison plus feather disposal vape pen at a very competitive price point, as well as a new one gram Edison cartridge for the 510 vaporizer. Both products are based on Limelight, our top selling flower strain and the country's best selling ultra sour. And we expect our new soft chooser gummies to be available in certain retail stores in early August. To date in Canada, edibles are one of the fastest growing segments of derivative products and the largest product subcategory within edibles is gummies. With our acquisition of Winnipeg-based Edibles and Infusions Corporation, or EIC for short, we enter this market backed by leadership with proven confectionery experience and a track record of, of delivery to some of the world's biggest retailers, including Costco and Walmart. We now have two facilities capable of R&D, product development and large-scale manufacturing capabilities to deliver derivative products. Our flagship facility in Moncton and our derivative dedicated EIC facility in Winnipeg both designed and built with EU GMP specification standards in mind. While flour and related products still account for more than 70% of the overall Canadian market, derivative sales growth, growth is outpacing the overall market as new product formats are launched and consumer preferences evolve. For example, edibles currently represent about 4% of the Canadian rec market compared to 12 to 15% in more mature U.S. markets. Lastly, we have a very innovative derivative product launch still to come in Q4 fiscal 2021. I do not want to give away any more details until we are ready to launch, except to say our team is very excited about the potential of this product. In addition to the acquisition of EIC, we also announced a collaboration with and strategic investment from DAT in March. I won't reiterate all the details of the transaction as we covered it in great detail last quarter. However, by way of update, we were pleased to announce the successful launch of the Center of Excellence, or COE, at our Moncton facility as outlined in the PDC agreement with BAT. The COE has been established to focus on developing the next generation of cannabis products with initial focus on CBD. As the company and BAT refine plans and ramp up on execution for the COE, a number of initial skill positions have been created, including innovation-focused roles such as scientists and product developers and over time, the employee count is expected to increase as new product projects and work streams are brought online. The COE is governed and supervised by a steering committee consisting of an equal number of senior members of each of Organogram and BAT. Under the terms of the PDC agreement, both Organogram and BAT have access to certain of each other's intellectual property and subject to certain limitations have the right to independently and globally commercialize the products, technologies and IP created pursuant to the PDC agreement. Approximately 31 million of BAT's $221 million investment in Organogram 
has been reserved for organograms portion of its funding obligations under the initially mutually agreed upon three-year budget. Costs relating to the CUE are being funded equally by organogram and BAP. From a governance perspective, there is a steering committee to supervise and govern the CUE activities with an equal number of senior members from both companies. And we also anticipate benefiting, benefiting from two BAP nominees to Organogram's board of directors. At closing of the transaction, we welcome Mr. Jayan Hepper to, the, to our board and the other nominees expected to be appointed in the near term. Not only is this collaboration with BAP going to accelerate and strengthen our research and product development activities, it is also anticipated to be instrumental in establishing the foundation for our U.S. and international strategy. As part of the transaction, BAP invested approximately $221 million in us for 19.9% equity interest. With the significant capital injection, Organogram is well positioned to expand in, into the U.S. and other international markets at the right time and subject to applicable law. I will now turn the call over to CFO Derek West. Thanks, Paolo. I will start with our strong financial position. As we announced last quarter, we have a balance sheet free of any significant debt after repaying our entire term loan balance of $58.5 million. This elimination of our debt amounts to about $2.7 million in annual interest savings. In terms of liquidity, including $31 million in restricted funds, the company currently has $220 million in cash and short-term investments. We have made the decision to complete the Phase 4C expansion of our Moncton facility for more production capacity in order to meet the longer-term forecasted demand for our products. We are also making changes to our growing and harvesting methodologies as well as design improvements to the Moncton campus that are expected to result in higher quality flour and reduced production costs. The budget amount for Phase 4C and this work is estimated to be $38 million and anticipated to be incurred starting in fiscal Q4 2021 with completion targeted during fiscal 2023. We have sufficient cash and short-term investments to support these expenditures and the corresponding growth to our working capital assets while still maintaining sufficient liquidity and financial flexibility. As you may have noted, we did file a preliminary base shelf perspective just recently, which allows us to move quickly to access even more capital to pursue attractive growth opportunities should they arise. Q3 2021 net cash used in operating activities of 10.8 million compared to 0.3 million provided by operating activities in the same prior year period. The change was largely due to the increase in working capital assets as the company ramped up cultivation activities during the current quarter. Turning to our earning results for Q3. Gross revenue grew 51% from Q2 2021 and 31% from the same period in fiscal 2020 to $29.1 million. Net revenue grew 39% from Q2 and 13% from the same prior year period, respectively, to $20.3 million. The revenue growth was primarily due to higher adult use rep net revenue, which grew 40% from Q2 and 10% from the from the same period in 2020, and higher wholesale revenue, which are sales to other licensed producers during Q3 of this year. Cost of sales decreased 47% to $23.4 million from Q3 of 2020, primarily due to almost $30 million in inventory of write-offs reported in Q3 of last year, 
and provisions as well as charges related to a reduced workforce due to COVID-19, which were all incurred in the prior year period. The charge related to unabsorbed fixed overhead and included in cost of sales continues to decline again sequentially this quarter as we expected and indicated in our Q2 2021 disclosures. It is anticipated to decline further in Q4 as we continue to ramp operations. We harvested 8,379 kilos of flour during Q3 compared to 4,741 kilos of flour in Q3 of the prior year. The increase from the comparative period was primarily related to increased cultivation, planting, and staffing in Q3 of this year to meet the increased demand for many of the new products as part of the product portfolio revitalization, as well as the increase in industry demand on the back of the ongoing accelerated retail store build-down, particularly in Ontario. We were using approximately 80% of our grow rooms in Q3 fiscal 2021 as and as of the date of our MDA, we were using 85% of our grow rooms. Once complete, Phase 4C will increase our annual capacity for the production of flour from 38,000 kilos to approximately 65,000 kilos. The total capacity of the company's Moncton campus facility will continue to fluctuate as the company further refines its growing methods and room utilization. IFRS gross margin increased to a positive 2.1 million from a negative 50 million in Q3 of 2020, largely due to lower cost of sales as I just described, as well as net non-cash positive fair value changes to biological assets and inventory sold in Q3 of 21 versus negative changes in the prior year comparison period. Adjusted gross margin was a negative 0.7 million in Q3 21 as compared to a positive 4.1 million in the same prior year period, largely as a result of the value segment offerings, comprising a larger proportion of total revenues in Q3 of 2021, combined with prior period higher cultivation costs, making up the current period's cost of sales. SGNA, excluding non-cash share-based compensation, increased to 13.6 million from 10.3 million in Q3 of 2020, largely due to increased staffing and office costs related to the establishment of the Organic Ground Bat Center of Excellence and the EIC acquisition, higher cultivation-related research and development costs, as well as higher audit fees in connection with the company's regulatory requirement to obtain an integrated audit opinion for the first time for fiscal 2021 financial statement. Adjusted FDR increased to a negative 10.2 million from a negative 2.1 million in Q3 20, largely due to lower adjusted gross margins in Q3 2021 and due to some higher general and administrative costs, as I just described. The net loss in Q3 of 2021 was reduced from Q3 2020 loss of 90 million to 4 million. The improvement to earnings was as a result of higher IFRS gross margin during the current quarter combined with the impairment charge to the property plant and equipment recorded in a prior year period. I will wrap up with our outlook for our Q4 fiscal 21. Just a reminder, we won't be reporting on this Q4 quarter until later in November in accordance with the filing deadlines for financial year ends. First, we are very positive on the outlook for industry growth. According to high fire data, Canada-wide recreational retail sales are expected to total $309 million in June, 
which is a slight decline from the high fire estimate of nearly 322 million in May and flat with 310 million in April, which is the most recent available data from Statistics Canada. Based on the estimates available from high fire, the second quarter of calendar 2021 was a record for the Canadian cannabis market with 940 million in total rec retail sales and implied sequential quarterly growth of 12%. This occurred despite the strict COVID-19 restrictions in place. There are a few factors creating tailwinds for further industry growth. First, the legalization October of 2019 of many derivative product categories has attracted consumers who were not interested in smoking or vaporizing dried flour, including pre-rolls. New categories such as vape pens, edibles, which is the soft chews and chocolates, beverages, and other ingestible products have significantly expanded the addressable market. Second, retail stores continue to open with Ontario driving the growth and targeting 1,000 stores opening in the province by the end of the summer. Since July, the store count in the provinces grew by 131% to 2,229 stores currently, driven by Ontario growing 755% to 872 stores. And of course, these stores in many provinces have been closed to foot traffic for much of 2021 and limited to delivery in some cases, click and, click and collect. We know that the cannabis consumer wants to be able to go into stores to buy their product. As such, we should see a boost in sales as these stores have recently been permitted to reopen to foot traffic, some of the new stores authorized opening for the first time ever. Third, the industry as a whole has made a concerted effort to convert consumers from illicit to legal consumption. The gap between Canada's legal and illicit cannabis market continues to widen. The latest statistic Canada data suggests. Household spending on adult use cannabis products and regular channels grew to $918 million in the final quarter of 2020, or $204 million more than the estimated amount spent on illicit cannabis in the same period. Spending on legal recreational cannabis overtook illegal transactions for the first time in the third quarter of 2020, when regulated expenditures outpaced approximate illicit sales by, by only $59 million. The legal market benefited from the growing retail options in calendar 2020. Regulated sales also benefited from a wider breadth of consistent inventory and improved selection of products. In February of 2021, the province of British Columbia tested illicit cannabis and found 24 distinct pesticides in 20 samples of dried flour. The samples went to a federally licensed lab for testing, and results showed that along with the 24 unapproved pesticides, there were high levels of bacteria, fungi, and heavy metals in many of the samples. These samples were subjected to the same full panel analysis to detect chemical and microbial contaminants as licensed cannabis producers are required to use. We believe the more that knowledge like this becomes better known amongst consumers, the more we'll see cannabis consumers shift to the legal market. Against this backdrop of strong industry growth, particularly as COVID-19 restrictions are being removed nationwide in a strong seasonal period, we expect to generate higher sequential revenue in Q4 fiscal 21 as compared to Q3. We have strong demand for our revitalized product portfolio, and with increased cultivation and more staffing, we are better equipped to fulfill that demand. Revenues to date and purchase orders from CFM customers support our expectation for higher revenue in Q4. 
Beyond Q4, we expect to resume shipments to Kandak in Israel in Q1 of Cisco 22. We received the good agricultural practice certification by the Control Union Medical Cannabis Standard to comply with Israel's updated standards for imported can cannabis in early Q4. However, the timing of shipment is contingent upon the regulatory approval from Health Canada, including obtaining an export permit. We also expect to see a sequential improvement in adjusted gross margins in Q4 fiscal 21, largely due to lower product cultivation costs, as well as other economies of scale as we continue to ramp up cultivation and realize the benefit of ongoing cost efficiency improvements. The overall level of Q4 fiscal 21 adjusted gross margins versus Q3s will also be dependent on other factors, including, but not limited to, product category and brand sales mix. Although the sequential improvement to adjusted gross margins is anticipated to be fairly marginal in Q4 fiscal 21, the company has identified a number of opportunities which it believes have the potential to further improve adjusted gross margins over time. We expect to gain economies of scale and efficiencies as we continue to scale up cultivation. As I noted earlier, we plan to make changes to our growing and harvesting methodologies that should not only enhance the quality of our flower, but also reduce production costs over time. The recent launches of newer, higher margin dried flower strains under Edison Indie brands with more expected to come have the potential to positively impact gross margin as these products gain traction in the market and comprise a greater proportion of the company's overall revenue. International sales have historically attracted higher margins and are expected to represent a greater proportion of revenue once we resume shipments to Canada. Further, we continue to launch more multi-pack pre-rolls and one grand eight cartridges, and these higher volume SKUs attract, attract generally, uh, generally attract higher margins. The company continues to invest in automation to drive cost efficiencies and reduce dependence on manual labor. Lastly, Q4 fiscal 2001 STMA is expected to be higher than Q3, primarily due to the R&D work at the Center of Excellence and increased selling and marketing expenses as stores reopen to put traffic and the retail network expands. In closing, we feel very confident about our prospects and remain focused on operational execution to drive top-line growth and just as importantly to drive cost reduction and operational efficiencies. At the same time, we are investing in innovation and research and development and product development, which we believe is critical to gain and sustain a long-term competitive advantage in the industry. So that concludes the prepared remarks. Operator, if you could go ahead and open up the line for questions. Thank you. Thank you. We have our first question from the line of David Cubicle from ADB Capital Markets. Your lines are open. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hi, good morning. Uh, congratulations on the quarter. Thanks uh, for taking my questions here. I want to start, I think, in your prepared remarks. Um, you mentioned revenue mix, um, and you look at margins. 
uh, being increased in Q4 as a result of product category or dependent upon product category and sales mix. I just want to know from Organigram's perspective, now with dispensaries opening, some of the, many of the COVID restrictions lifting, to what extent do you view this as a tailwind for you uh, and the industry as a whole, especially when it comes to the derivative products or 2.0 product offerings, just given that we know that many consumers require that um, in-store or dispensary um, in-face experience um, to actually educate a lot of their decisions with these products. Um, and with that said, uh, are you able to comment at all about what you potentially think that a revenue mix could look like from a 1.0 versus 2.0 uh, product category split? Thanks. Hey, Derek. Hey, David, sorry. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear. Perfect, perfect. Thanks for the question. It's a, it's a great question. Um, First of all, yes, we, we do view everything that's happening um, in terms of the, the stores, the availability of both you know, new stores opening and also in-store foot traffic and also just the seasonality where we are in kind of the, the summer, the kind of the whole social experience and so forth. We do view that as a tailwind. Um, I think your point on derivative products is bang on. Some of those products uh, require, um, you know, a bit more um, hand-holding maybe from uh, but tenders. I was in a in a, uh, a store in Toronto just last week. Walked in and I, I was um, I re- was really taken aback about how uh, much um, a butt tender can influence a, a consumer's uh, purchase decision. You know the you know the the person in question walks into the store, uh, kind of middle aged man, and uh, um, you know the butt tender really uh, had a, a strong influence in terms of he, in this particular instance he was looking to buy an edible. And, uh, and really help them navigate to a, a particular brand and, and so forth. So when I think of derivative products, when I think of our derivative products in particular, our power beverage, uh, which I think is a you know relatively uh, novel and innovative product, that will certainly do better in our view in uh, in, in a, a situation where someone walks into the store and, and can be navigated um, by a butt tender to um, you know a different type of beverage, maybe something that's not as heavy to carry around. Uh, something that they could put in their in their purse or their back pocket now that they're uh, able to to be more social under um, you know better kind of COVID environment. Um, I, you know we think the same thing certainly with our gummies, which are going to be coming out in in August. Um, and uh, uh, you know I think uh, you know chocolate is also another great opportunity, which is more geared to the the kind of the fall and winter seasons. Um, so I definitely think um, that derivatives will be a big beneficiary of. Um, you know, in-person store traffic and the and the expansion of retail stores. Um, our our derivative portfolio in in in, in, uh, in aggregate has probably under-indexed. Um, you know, the Canadian market in the last year. That is also um, by design in our part because you know, with the restrictions of COVID and um, you know the limitations that we experienced there for a while in terms of less staffing, we thought it was prudent pivots to higher uh, bigger categories such as flower and pre-roll uh, so we've over indexed there even even against the 70 percent which I cited in the uh, in the prepared comments uh, but uh, I think we're, we'll definitely be shifting more to derivatives going forward and starting with Q4 as well you'll see some product launches in the next month to two months that we're excited about and uh, uh, yep yeah, um, Derek do you want to add anything on the on the, the margins or the revenue mix um, yeah, I would say that as it relates to um, our 
we don't um, you know disclose any um, exact margins by any of our product categories and brands, but I would say that um, it's 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 a mix on uh, on all of it in terms of um, uh, point in product category. Uh, there is various uh, uh, margins depending on the format and and the brand. I would say that um, we will benefit over time with the economies of scale that we expect to get as we're lowering the, the cost per unit, the cost per gram, which positively impacts all of our product categories, including uh, derivatives, although not as, uh, as direct and one-to-one as it will with the flower categories. And so with, um, we've essentially doubled the production volume in Q3 compared to Q1, and where a, a large portion of our costs are fixed, we are benefiting significantly over the last quarter with regards to a lower uh, cost per gram, and we'll start to see that show up. Most of, most of that benefit ends up into our inventory and to what's sold, and we'll start to see that um, as we look forward to a certain extent and as we continue to um, move, move to higher production levels. Um, there will always be a bit of a, of, a, of a timing, and it's not always going to be exact, but um, definitely with the higher production levels we're running at, along with other efficiencies, um, and operational improvements that we're making and getting improved yields at the facility. There's positive, um, um, there's positive winds that are back now as it relates to our, our cost per gram, and that will help margins uh, as we look forward for all the categories. Okay, thanks, uh, Paolo and Derek. Very helpful. Um, last question for me, and then I'll hop back in the queue. I just, I know you mentioned your prepared remarks, um, the Center of Excellence associated with the British American Tobacco Company. Um, beyond what you've said in your prepared remarks, is there any color you can give us for what type of products you expect to hit the market uh, and potential timing here? You know, for example, are these going to be existing products that you already have that you're looking to tweak, uh, like chocolates or beverages, um, or are these going to be uh, a new product offerings altogether? Thank you, and congrats on the quarter again. Thanks, David. Yeah, look, for on the BAT, um, there's not a, a ton that we can really say because, you know, we just we just launched it. I, I can tell you that we're extremely happy with the people that are involved in the COE, the, the hirings that we've made. The launch has gone, uh, you know, very well to date, and uh, the teams are, um, you know, uh, within that group are working on product plans and, and uh, work plans and so forth. I think the, the, the best thing to do in terms of uh, to kind of, you know, talk about you know where this is heading is, uh, for sure the products will be in you know derivative types of style products. Um, the focus really is on um, you know product innovation and also research, understanding safety, understanding um, the efficacy of the products, uh, and that will be the foundation uh, to which these derivative products will be uh, developed. So the idea here is to really develop. IP and product uh, products that are um, that can transcend borders. Those so, you know. So once we've developed them and we have IP supporting them, and we've got a body of research um, and testing to support uh, how these products work, that we can um, you know establish them as as products in in uh, in markets around the world, subject to regulations. And we think that you know the the work that we're going to do is going to be important regardless of which market you go into. You know, uh, regulators and um, uh, public health officials are going to be first and foremost concerned about, uh, you know, safety and again efficacy and and the ability to make product claims is going to be uh, based off of that. So derivative products, safety and efficacy, supported by research, supported by science, um, and with a focus in terms of cannabinoids primarily on CBD. In terms of timing, uh, I think we should be very realistic about expectations. 
There's there's certainly nothing um, that we're expecting to bring to market in the next kind of 12 months. Beyond that, uh, it'll be you know subject to which products and how far we long we are along in progress. And in terms of whether they will be innovations on existing products that we have uh, or you know completely new products, the answer to that is both. Again, subject to um, you know the work streams and the and the product plans that our, our teams put together, which you know we're still in the relatively early stages of that, but. Uh, Really excited. Um, I think that you know the people on both sides are, are have been great. We've been collaborating great, and I think that's just gonna 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 um, get a lot better when uh, when we're able to kind of travel more free, freely and so forth. And uh, I think with COVID, kind of hopefully on the on the on the, the downslope, um, the, these collaborations will just get amplified going forward. And, and we're excited about everything that we've done today. Thanks uh, very much. Congrats on the core. I'll, I'll pass it along. Thank you. The next one is from Andrew from Stethel GMP. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my questions. Um, maybe we could uh, just discuss uh, profitability a little bit. Um, you know, you had a big revenue bump this quarter sequentially, um, but it seems like on a reported adjusted gross margin basis, it was relatively stable cognizant that you still have some unabsorbed uh, fixed costs in that um, and you're continuing to scale. So, you know, if, if, if your product mix remains stable, could you give us a sense of what kind of revenue level we would need to see um, in order for you to return to kind of pre-COVID gross margin levels or normalized gross margin? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to do a, a, a projection and look forward on, on a, a break-even analysis on the margin just because we're, we are offering a large number of product uh, categories and different brands, and there's always newness in the market. Every quarter we have a number of launches and, um, that, that, that are coming up, and that's happened every quarter, and that does change. Um, um, I guess the, the mix in terms of the, the product, and there's been pricing compression in the market, we do feel that um, most of that has been uh, flowed through. I would say that um, the, the cost reductions on the flower over the last two quarters have been significant. Most of it does show up uh, in the inventory balances, uh, some of which did help uh, the current period's cost of sales, but not to the extent that we would see on an ongoing basis. Um, but um, there, there was a larger volume of sales in the current quarter with value formats um, that did contribute to uh, the increase to the revenue in this period. And um, so the margin did not uh, move up as much as we would have otherwise targeted, but we would think that with um, the continued efficiency from both um, changes in processes that are VP of operations as well as the facility, along with um, just the natural gains that we're going to achieve through um, spreading up the cost of the overhead of the facility and the removal of the drag for this unabsorbed uh, fixed charge that you were referring to, which I think was 1.7 million in the quarter. So I, I think the combination of all those will lead to, if, if the volume is the same and the mix is the same, you know, we are going to have mathematically a better margin just because we've been flowing through a lower comms number. Um, that would uh, just be the mathematical outcome. Um, but we're targeting 
um, you know, revenue growth to, to continue. And over time, we do believe that uh, we will achieve higher margins, but it's just not something that is automatic and happens just in one quarter. And, and uh, but we would expect to uh, see improved margins for our product categories again, build a lower cost. And there's just a fair number of initiatives at, at play, and we are achieving much better. It's not just a matter of applying the cost to more production volumes. We are getting better yields out of the room through uh, various process changes that have been implemented. And so we're, we will start to um, see the benefit of that as we move forward. And of course, just having sales fulfillment and having higher sales dollars will help as well on the margin. And uh, it does have our attention and and uh, we're having continuous meetings on it on how we can best uh, improve um, all the profitability metrics, but it does start with our margin, no question. Okay, thank you for that color. And maybe just switching gears, um, you know, Health Canada is, is expected to start the review of regulations um, this fall. Just curious if, you know, you have any thoughts around that, um, you know, more specifically perhaps on, on CBD and how that plays into the uh, BAT partnership? Yeah, I can take that question. Uh, look, we, we're, we're awaiting uh, that, uh, that review period uh, as well. Um, you know, we, we have a view that longer term, we think CBD will hopefully be, um, you know, available just you know, beyond just the traditional retail stores. But, we, again, we don't have any inside knowledge on that and, and can't really offer um, a firm opinion one way or the other. But, but you know, just we think over over uh, – over time, that that, that that will likely happen. Um, I, I think the CBD market obviously is a is a market that has a lot of opportunity, um, just based on uh, what we've seen in other jurisdictions as well. Um, and uh, you know, the only thing I can offer as it relates to BET is that we signal, um, you know, through formal communication that that is the cannabinoid CBD is the cannabinoid with the, the which will represent a primary focus to start with. So. Um, you know, we think that's the, that's obviously a bigger addressable market than psychoactive products. So uh, we will um, uh, we will obviously uh, make that a, a priority, both uh, organic and independently, and also the CBD. Okay, thank you. That, I, I was just going to add to that that we expect the three-year review to result in some incremental changes to regulation, and some of the some of which may be positive to the industry. But we are focused on competing in the playing field that exists now. And um, we don't predicate our success on the prospect of a favorable regulatory change, uh, but obviously there'll be um, a certain level of change then we'll be ready and agile to, to make a move to um, take advantage of those changes. Okay, do you have any view on what changes might occur? No, we do not have on that. Okay, thank you for taking my question. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Amy Chen. The lines are open. Thanks, morning. Um, first question I had is um, on the uh, thinking behind the decision to complete the Phase 4 expansion. Um, I noticed another one of your competitors recently brought on a lot of new capacity on their end. So I just wanted to dig into that a bit further. Um, you talked about uh, wanting to meet longer-term forecasted demand, but you know, as far as I think we can see, at, at least in the earlier part of this year, provinces were still rationalizing SKUs. 
looks like there have been some share losses among the bigger LPs, apparently to some craft growers. So I just wanted to understand, you know, what specifically are you seeing uh, that prompted the decision to finish phase four? Is it discussions with provinces going forward? Uh, or is it that you're just uh, getting more bullish on more Ontario stores? Um, just wanted to, to dig into that a bit more. Thank you. Hey, Tammy, it's Paolo. Great, great, great question. Um, and I have a, a few comments to make on that. So, number one, I think we're bullish on stores. We're bullish on growth. We're also bullish on organogram. We've, we've um, as and all the, you know, publicly available information, including from High Fire, will point to our market share has been increasing. Um, and we, we're not able to even produce what, what we, uh, we need to meet demand now. So this, that's part of the decision. Our, our specific situation at Organogram requires us to produce more uh, flour. We also have, uh, as part of the, the investment initiatives, to improve our THC and to improve our efficiency. So when we did the analysis, all the signs pointed to that this was the right decision to make and that we needed to do this to grow our business. In the context of the macro environment, I would just also mention that, you know, when you look at the, the, the way the industry has unfolded in the past few years, it never made sense for all of the facilities, all of the production facilities that were built to be put online. And we knew that over time, the best facilities, and when I just say best, I'm talking about either lowest cost of cultivation or highest, um, you know, quality product or a combination thereof would survive over the long term. And we've seen some of the larger players shutter some of their production facility because it's either inefficient or cannot produce uh, the right quality flour. Uh, and uh, also in M&A uh, situations, we've seen uh, companies post m and again, shutter facilities. So what's happening now is the best producers in terms of being able to produce at a lower cost or, or higher THC or combination thereof, and we think we're certainly in that category, are going to survive and are going to be the ones responsible for providing the uh, cultivation in Canada. So we think that... Um, you know, we're, we're needed as a, as a cultivator in Canada, and uh, we need it just for even our own demand. Um, and and we, we are very bullish on Canada as a whole. Um, I think the market is still has a lot of room to grow. Uh, we're, we hope to see that growth now that uh, uh, Ontario is opening in stores and stores are open for foot traffic. And, uh, you know, when I look at markets like more mature markets in the U.S., like Colorado, which did – you know, less than 6 million people, they did 2.2 billion in sales in 2020. So if you were to, you, you know, Canada follows a traje trajectory that's even a fraction of that, um, you know, we're going to need that cultivation. So again, for us, there's demand on the table that we need to satisfy. There's efficiencies that we need to go after. And there's THC improvements that we still think we can make. And that's, uh, that's what's driving the decision to, to make that investment and finish foresee. Got it. Okay, that's very helpful. That was it for me. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Adam Buckham from Scotiabank. The lines are open. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, so maybe a question on the back of Tammy's there. Um, so you talked about your capacity and how it's grown throughout the last two quarters. Are you able to give us an idea of what your fill rate is on POs as of Q3 versus, you know, your prior quarters? 
I don't, yeah, I don't have. I don't know, Derek, if you have, you have uh, those numbers handy. I don't have the exact numbers, but I can tell you directionally speaking that it's gone a lot better. Uh, and in particular, with the largest province, Ontario, we have, I think, um, I think most recently we filled, I think, something like, you know, 99% of our, our, our POs that were actually cut um, for, on some of our, our, our you know, bigger SKUs. So our, uh, a lot of credit to be given to our operations department and Natalie in particular. Uh, they've gotten uh, uh, a lot better at fulfilling, uh, you know, POs. And I think our sales and uh, operations planning process has gotten way better. Uh, we're really dialing that in. And I think that's going to help us on our efficiencies and also uh, not missing on sales opportunities. So I can't give you exact numbers, um, you know, for the, for the whole company at this point, but I can tell you it's gotten significantly better. We're very pleased. And uh, I think that gives us a lot of confidence going forward in terms of meeting our, our, our purchase order obligations. Okay, great, thanks. Um, so second question for me, I was wondering if we could get an idea, you know, this, you guys have pretty strong sales growth in, in the flower category, right? Like how much of that velocity from a SKU perspective came from larger format versus smaller format products? And and then I guess secondly, like how much of that if you can give us an idea for um, you know, the newer strains versus some of the more uh, I guess legacy products. Yeah, I could tell you that um, you know, we we've been um, we've been rationalizing our SKUs to, to make sure that we're focusing on higher velocity uh, SKUs. And right now we're we're firing on all cylinders. Our our three big brands that I, that I think are worth mentioning. Shred, Edison, and Big Bag of Buds—they're all moving well. You know, Big Bag of Buds is obviously a large format SKU. Um, Shred is also our jar of joints is doing extremely well. Uh, so we're very pleased with um, with our velocity uh, in the on the flower and pre rolls in particular. There's probably a bit more work to do in the, the derivative portfolio, but that's going to be revitalized in the next month or two, and you'll see that um, uh, with new SKUs coming to market. Uh, so we're really excited. I think the, the, the biggest um, you know, kind of uh, uh, limitation we've had is just the availability of flour, which again speaks to our, uh, our commitment to doubling down, or, or not doubling, but, um, but increasing our capacity and finishing off phase 4C, which is already substantially complete. Okay, great. Thanks. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Rupesh Arik from Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. So, Paul, I just have a question just on the competitive backdrop out there. So, clearly, we've seen a lot of consolidation in space uh, really the past few months. So, just curious, you know, how you feel about organic growth's position just given some of the developments out there. Um, and then where does, where does consolidation or, you know, M&A, uh, where, where is that a focus going forward for organic growth? Yeah, look, I think I think when you look at uh, uh, the decision tree between buying market share and being extremely dilutive doing that, which I think has been a trend that some of our peers have, have demonstrated in the past, versus taking that market share with our own internal capabilities and the and the you know like even what we announced uh, today in terms of our commitment to finishing 4C and and uh, and some process improvements, the math definitely works um, in terms of build it yourself and, and expand. Um, and we have the confidence to do that now because our, our forecasting and our planning and, and our brands, just, just you know, our Edison brand and our Shred brand are, are, are so strong. There's so much brand equity there that we have the confidence to do that. 
um, you know, ourselves. So, you know, I, I think we're not going to say no to M&A. We, we have been, we've had, we've looked at a lot of companies. None of them have made sense from a, a risk reward perspective. I think if we are going to do something in the M&A space, it's going to be much more targeted to either a product category or a segment that maybe we need uh, a little boost in or to just go a little faster on. Uh, but, um, you know, I think, like, we're really excited about the market share uh, we've captured the last couple of months. Um, and uh, we think there's actually quite a bit of runway on that as well. So uh, our focus really is um, on on uh, on what's within our control, which is our, our two facilities now, one in Moncton, one in Winnipeg. And uh, we've, we still have a lot of optimization to do there. And uh, uh, we think, um, like I said, I'm uh, answering Tammy's question, our facility is going to be one of the winners that survives in Canada. It's, uh, it's uh, a crown jewel of ours. Um, and I think that's something that others don't have. And we're going to leverage that as much as possible before trying to buy market share with just uh, uh, with M&A, because I think that that's not a winning proposition for our shareholders. Okay, great. Thank you. I'll pass it along. Thank you. We have our last question from the line of John Zambaro from CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I'd like to better understand the strategy uh, when it comes to how Organogram gets to improve margins. And, and I ask that with the backdrop of we've all seen the numbers on Shred. Uh, I think we can all agree it's pretty remarkable growth, but it's it's one of the largest or top-selling brands in Canada already, um, but it's that doesn't necessarily result in positive margins. So I, I wonder, does this need to get to uh, an even higher uh, level of sales to become a positive margin contributor, or should we think about it as um, that is probably not going to be the primary driver of margin expansion, and that margin expansion will come from the other categories that you're uh, that you're focused on? John, that's a great question. Look, I think I think to, to to answer that question, what I would say is, Shred will benefit from increased volume for sure. Shred will also benefit from lower cost of cultivation, which we're already demonstrating. Shred will also benefit from line extension. Um, you know, jar of joints is a good example of that. That's a that's a that's a better margin product example for us than uh, the seven gram pouches. Uh, and we think we can take the the brand uh, extension to um, uh, to other products as well. Um, the brand equity that Shred has is remarkable. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a pleasant surprise for us. And along with Edison, I think uh, we've got two real winners to, to build upon. Um, and you know, you know, getting brand equity in cannabis has been has been a, a you know a hard proposition for a bunch of reasons, structural, including regulatory, uh, and so forth. So like, can advertise and all that other stuff. So. Um, I would say, uh, look, we we want to to obviously shift as much as possible to uh, higher margin brands. That is happening already, I think, with our, our new Edison strains. And I think that investment that we made in our facility to bring the THC up will allow us to do that. Uh, but uh, uh, we are we're keeping a, strong, a close eye on Shred, and and trust me, it's a big topic of discussion internally, and we have a plan to take it. Uh, to a better margin place, and uh, I, I would just be patient and, and watch us roll that out in the next couple of quarters. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, line extensions would be one answer. Efficiencies on just cost of cultivation and then just general efficiencies in terms of the way we operate, I think we're going to get there um, um, very soon. 
Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. Um, and then the second question, I suppose it's two parts. They're, they're both related to margin, though. Um, first, are there other international markets that you're potentially going to sell into over the next couple of quarters? And then second, in Canada, how would you characterize where we're at in terms of price compression on the producer side? Is, is there still room for this to fall forward, in your opinion, in the next few quarters? Yeah, on international, I think we're 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 signaling that we're probably going to restart international sales in in uh, our fiscal Q1 of next year. Um, you know, international. While we would like to make it a bigger part of our business, we're still uh, we still have a lot a lot of opportunities to uh, to deal with in Canada here, and and we want to make sure that we're we're capturing all that demand. But you know, longer term, I think as part of our strategy, we do have to figure out a way to get more international sales, and and hopefully we'll have more news on that again uh, as uh, as the uh, uh, the, you know, by the time the next quarter rolls around. On price compression, um, look, that's a hard one to answer because that requires a forecast of supply and demand. It's hard to actually get good transparency on what the other producers are producing in terms of kgs. And again, I, I think I made the comment earlier on the, on the M&A question is uh, we think um, that there's going to be continued rationalization of cultivation facilities. Obviously, as that cultivation comes offline, um, that will, um, you know, the supply will hopefully start to reach the side of the equation, will start to balance a bit better. Uh, on the demand side, though, we're seeing, you know, growth. Um, you know, certainly the uh, proliferation of stores in Ontario is going to drive a lot of that. And uh, um, so, um, you know, it, 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 it's certainly slowed down, if, if nothing else. Uh, so that's probably a sign that it's bottoming. And I think, uh, you know, the margins just become impossible at a certain point for, for LPs if they keep, you know, dropping it. So I think, you know, rationality will prevail. And I, I, the one thing I am encouraged about with M&A is that, you know, people will uh, be a bit more rational. I think some of the companies that have, have done that are, um, are going to have to look really uh, closely in the mirror to see and ask themselves the question, is it is it worth producing uh, in this, you know, facility that can't, you know, get the THC um, to the right level or a cost of production is, is too high, that'll get rationalized. And I think that's going to help the overall supply demand uh, equation. But on our side, we're, we're committed to, to making money at, 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 uh, at these prices uh, because we, we have to. We, it's within our control to get uh, more efficient, and that's what we're driving to. And again, on the THC side, we've seen our THC uh, climb, but there's still more work to do there. And, and uh, uh, I think that's the way we're going to deal with it on our end, just making sure that we maximize our THC and keep our costs as low as possible. Understood. Thank you very much. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.